When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Que sera, sera. Hello and welcome to You Are Going to Be Fantastic. I'm Ann Foster. I'm Jenny Ryan. And we are here with another story about somebody's somebody's life. We're going to be interviewing a person and see what they thought their life would be like and what their life is like and how do they feel about it because that is what the show is about. Yeah. But first, banter. I need to tell Ann a story. Oh, please do. Okay, so I the other day got a text message from a friend and she was like, come meet me for a drink, except she was going to be in a place where there were going to be people that I didn't want to see and I didn't want them to see me. And I was like, ah, I don't want to go. I don't want to have to deal with it. So I decided I was going to have to buy a, a disguise. So I went to Winners on my way. I was near the Winners. And so I went into Winners and I was like, I need a hat because I need a disguise. So I went to the hat, like any excuse to buy things yep. fashion wise, any sartorial excuse. So I go over and I find a hat and then I was like, this hat's going to work. It was like floppy and cute and then good Was for the place fall. you're meeting the friend outside? Or no, inside? it was like inside. I, so you're going to go into a different yeah. place where you're also wearing sunglasses. Yeah. So oh, I was going to have okay. sunglasses and a hat inside. So I got this hat. It was like, it's a winter hat. Like it's a wool. Like yeah. it's going to be for fall, like my fall hat. And then I was like, no, I don't just a hat. I also need a scarf. So then I go and then I get this and I'm like, but I have to find the right scarf that ma- I'm wearing the scarf now. Like yeah. I bought the scarf. So I had to find like a scarf that matched the hat. So I'm trying, like I'm standing in the middle of winters with a pile of hats and a pile of scarves. Did you and also like, get a wig? I did not. But I must have. And I was like, do I need a purse? Like people are like a sweater. Like I had this whole look. I was going to be yeah. like Carmen San Diego or something. Yeah. I was just trying to come up with an outfit. So then I, I, then I texted her and I was like, I am I literally like, I, I was supposed to be there, but I'm busy buying disguise. And she's like, okay, whatever. I'm not even in that place anymore. I was in line at Winters to buy my, pay for my disguise. And she's like, I've moved on. I'm now in a new locale where the people you need to see are not here. And so then she's like, just leave the disguise. I'm like, but I've committed to my look. Yeah. I need a disguise. And so I then purchased a disguise um just because i like it was funny because she's told later she's told her boyfriend she's like you know if anyone else had said i'm i'm gonna be late i'm buying a disguise she'd have thought they but she's like well with jenny it just seems okay sure of course she's buying a disguise of course that's what you're doing this reminds me of a couple weeks ago i was going on the greyhound bus um i was going just on a quick bus trip from saskatoon to regina and i went there to buy my ticket and it was like a hot day and i was going on a trip so i was wearing a baseball hat and sunglasses. Ah. And I went up to buy the ticket. I was like, I'm gone girl right now. Yeah. I look like I'm on the run from an abusive husband. I'm like, I need a one-way ticket out of here. Yeah. Don't look at my face. I don't want anyone to be. I was just like, I wonder how many people. <laughs> I, don't, I just felt so much like I'm on a lifetime movie. Yeah. Baseball mm-hmm. hat, sunglasses, like ticket, please. Paying cash. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I totally get it. If yeah. I had realized I was doing that, I would have maybe also worn a floppy hat mm-hmm. and been more in a wig. Yeah. That's an amazing story. If you have a story about any disguises <laughs> you've ever worn to avoid, people are just for fun. Let you us know. You are going to be fantastic at gmail.com. Um, so we're intervie- who are we interviewing today? Ha, Tasha Hubbard. And who, um, who is she? She is a filmmaker. She is a, um, uh, she is a Saskatonian. Um, uh, she just finished her PhD. Um, she is a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're going to learn all about her life. I'm very excited. She is not in any way related to the library world that we're aware of. 
perhaps we will learn something maybe she'll be like oh i spent my youth working in a library in my small town i don't know anyway but uh yeah so we'll get right to it and we'll talk to tasha and uh learn all about her life okay hello uh ann and i are here today with tasha hubbard um and we're going to ask you some questions about your life tasha are you prepared i i think so okay so why don't you tell us what what do you do currently? Like, what's your job, your kind of life? Just a little snapshot, and then we'll go back in time and figure out how you got there. Sure. So I'm an assistant professor uh, in the Department of English at the University of Saskatchewan. Um, I teach Indigenous literature and film. Um, I'm also a practicing filmmaker. Um, I mainly make documentaries, although I've been starting to do some writing uh, for drama. Um, and... Um, and I'm a single mom. So those are my three things. Okay. So professor, um, filmmaker, and mom. Mm-hmm. So when you were like 17, 16, 17, mm-hmm. were any of those three things things you thought you'd be doing? Um, no. I, I, I had assumed at that age of 17 that, you know, I would eventually have a family and that was long down the road um my mom didn't get to do a lot of the things that she wanted to do my adoptive mom and and so she'd always raise me from the time I was quite young <laughs> to like um never share my bank account mm-hmm. always have my own money yep uh you know for her it was don't be a teen mom mm-hmm. um you know wait like, I was always told, wait, you can have children in your 30s. Like, you don't need to do that right away. Um, and and I could do whatever I wanted. Right. Okay. <laughs> those, were, those, those were her messages. So, yeah, I, so I assumed down the line I'd, I'd have a family. I didn't see myself as an assistant professor doing, the, you know, the academic path. Definitely didn't have film on my radar at all. So you weren't like a kid who watched a lot of movies and thought, I want to make movies one day. I did watch a lot of movies. We were the first family in our small town to have a VCR. And I completely remember the day that my parents brought it home. And we thought we were getting a video game. My brothers and I thought we were getting like Atari or Coleco. We were really excited. And And then they pull out this big gray box and we're like, what does that do? And my mom's like, it plays movies. <laughs> so we did. We watched a ton of movies as kids. Okay. Um, my mom would arrange to get them shipped on the bus to wow. our small town. Where were you? Where did you grow up? Yeah, what's the small town called? Ogama. It's about an hour south of Regina. Ogama. Yeah. Ogama. Halfway between Weyburn and Assiniboia. Oh. So yeah, that back then the bus went everywhere. And so she, um, yeah, she, would, she had an arrangement with a video store that they would, and... I think they even just selected movies. Like, I don't even think we had a choice. We oh, would just man. get, like, a group of movies every oh, couple of weeks. And That's so I, yeah. I That's so great. Yeah, we'd watch that's the awesome. heck out of them. Like, I still watch movies over and over again because that's... I actually enjoyed the third or fourth viewing because right. you'd see things you didn't see in the details and stuff. It's kind of cool to have them chosen for you, too, because yeah. then, I don't know, like, myself, if I was a kid, I'd be like, I want to borrow that movie where Barbie goes to the 50s again. Yeah. That's all I would ever watch. But that's yeah. why you're like forced to expand yeah. well, into also, things you wouldn't have chosen. It yeah. also means that you don't, like it, it It makes you watch all kinds of things you might not watch. Like now we can mm-hmm. all, now with like Netflix or the whatever, wherever you go, you all, you can just hand pick 
so no one just turns on the TV and watches what's on anymore. We all can all kind of curate, but this way someone else was making you, oh, you were exposed to so much. That's super cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you, I was just going to say, so you're watching lots of movies. Mm-hmm. So in but retrospect. Never, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can see it, um, but I never, yeah, it just wasn't. Um, I always had an interest in in social justice. Like I can remember that being young, like wanting things to be fair and being upset if people in the in my little group, you know, of small town classmates if people got picked on my mom said I was right from the time I was small she said I was the one who'd be like no you can't treat people were like you, that you had brothers were you the littlest in your family no I was the oldest oh okay by quite a bit okay yeah yeah I was adopted out and so um my birth parents are indigenous um to Saskatchewan like they're my dad's Cree and Dakota and my mom is Cree and Soto and Métis and then I got adopted at birth um I spent a few months in a foster home, and then I went to the home that I grew up in. And um, my first adopted dad passed away when I was little, and my mom remarried. And so she had two children with her second husband. Oh, okay. So they're four and seven years younger than I am. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time taking them on adventures so they were out of my mom's hair (laughs) so she could get stuff done on the farm. We grew up on a farm. Um, So, yeah, no, but... uh, um, but yeah, I, I so I kind of always thought I'd be a lawyer or a social worker or maybe a teacher like those. Mm-hmm. But you know that I went to high school in the '80s, right? And I graduated in 1990. And I think you know career guidance counselors at that time had pretty narrow ideas of what people could do, and I think even what women could do. Right. So um, I just assumed it would be one of those three things. Did you feel limited because you were of Indigenous birth? Mm, no, no, no. Because my adoptive mom, like I said, one of her main messages right. is, I can do anything. You, uh, so I grew up thinking I could do whatever I wanted, right. except for math and science. And I hate to be <laughs> a stereotype, but I'm sorry. I, it just, I don't, I'm not, those aren't my strengths. You know, I've, yeah. I have a sister, birth sister, who's like, that's, she's brilliant and I'm glad, but I'm not. Right. Like I knew I would work with words in some way. So you're always... I mean, you're doing stuff with English now, so mm-hmm. were you a big reader as well as yeah. a big movie watcher? Absolutely. Yeah, my mom says I spent my childhood with the nose, my nose in a book. I read, um, and I read above my reading level, and I remember sneaking her, like, histor- those thick historical yeah. romance novels, and I think I was, like, seven, and I'd just read the whole thing and get immersed in the story, and I'd see the book in my head, right? Like, I mm-hmm. just love that feeling. Like of, a movie. Like a movie. <laughs> Um, you know, and then I was a kid, so I just, I'd skip over the racy parts. Oh, right? I always read those. No, I didn't. I'd be like, oh, I'm not supposed to, I was a good kid. I was like, oh. I'm not supposed to read this. Or I'd be like, that, that's the boring part. I'd be like, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. yeah. I, I was always about the story and, and yeah, you know, the, the setting. That's what I liked about the historical stuff. They were always in like Scotland or, you know. So your town, places. you got to graduate from high school in your town. Like, you didn't no. have to go, oh, where did you no, have to go? No, we, um, we left uh, when I was 11. Oh, okay. And we started moving town to town, depending on what my parents' jobs were. So farming just kind of took a downturn. So um, my dad worked for what was called Gulf Canada, and then it turned into Petrocan. And he got transferred a lot, so... Oh my, I grew up all over Saskatchewan. Like I was in Kindersley, I was in Moose Jaw, I was in Regina, and I was in Prince Albert. And then when I graduated, I came to Saskatoon. So you came to Saskatoon for... University. university. Mm-hmm. And what was your what was your plan? So you went right from high school to university. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Yep. Um, I think like a lot of people, I wanted a break, but my parents are like, no, go <laughs> keep going. Yeah, exactly. So what? So what did you study? Did you... I actually went into post secondary. I went in. Yeah, I went into secondary uh, education. I was going to teach high school. Oh. I'd had an amazing grade twelve social studies teacher, and I just he was so nonconformist, and. I just loved it and I wanted to be like him and teach students in a different way and he he had us role play a lot and he'd set up these different scenarios where the one I remember the best is we were looking at um, uh, Haida Gwaii and the conflict between the loggers and the indigenous people and the environmentalists and so he had he split us up into those groups and we had to represent these different interests to a panel of impartial you know, people who were making a ruling. And so we would spend like a couple of weeks researching our position and learning about it and then debating it over a few classes. And that's how we learned the whole way through. And I liked that a lot. He ended up going on to be a professor of education at the University oh. of Alberta. But I thought, oh, I could be just like him. Um, but my I got into first year education and, and liked it. But actually, my professor took me aside and he's like I don't think this is for you wow really? mm-hmm. why he told me he thought I would get I would get bored oh you were too smart to be a teacher well I don't know I wouldn't say that oh. <laughs> <laughs> all the, but I, I I see what he's saying because my whole I've done something different usually it's like three three year blocks I've done something different all the way through and and that's partly why I feel okay landing where I have in that I can always do something different. So what did that feel like to be told? Like, did you agree with him or were you mad? Were you flattered? No. I wasn't flattered. I feel like I've been singled out. Um, <laughs> I think I just was like, um, thought about what he had to say and, and yeah, maybe I guess a little flattered and a little like, well, that's my plan though. Like I yeah. have my plan, right? Yeah. You seem and like it, you were someone who liked you know, to have a plan. You, yeah. You did not, you don't seem like your childhood was great, but it doesn't seem like it was necessarily like carefree. Like you, yeah. you seem like a kid who wanted a plan. So to have yeah. someone say your plan is no good, that would yeah. be. Yeah, it was, yeah, I, it definitely um, shook me up a bit. And, and then I, but I, I'd also really like my political studies class. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll do that. And um, a friend of mine who was older had gone on to Carleton. And so I looked into that and then, Within a week, I had a place to live. I was, you know, I'd ex- I had applied and I did get accepted to to transfer and major in political studies in Ottawa. You know, lived the dream of that sort of life. And then, uh, the last minute, I'm like, I don't want to. I'm not ready to leave. And I was eight, just 18 because yeah. I had started. Yeah. I started university at 17. Okay. So. And then Which I'm like, is so, sorry, I'm just like, wow, it's so young to yeah. be deciding what you want to do with your and life. The rest You're of your life. 17. Right? Yeah, and, and that baby. I had a plan when I was 17. Yeah. Like, I yeah. can remember telling my stepdad, he came to visit me, and I'm like, I know everything. Like, I know. I know what I want to do. I know how things work. And he just kind of looked at me and went, mm-hmm, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, and then later on, that was when I got told, your plan's no good. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, so it's, it is young. And... So I don't remember how I ended up or why. I think because English was my best mark in my first year. And I enjoyed it. And it because I loved to read and I you know, really loved novels. And, and I thought, well, maybe you know, it'll give me a broad enough 
you know, foundation that I can then pick different things to do. And that's really ultimately what happened. So you stayed in the English. Like yeah, I, I majored in English. And then you just, and then when did you decide that you were just going to be an academic? Oh, not did for it a just, long time. Did it Mm-mm. didn't just like happen accidentally? No, my family always wanted me to do my master's, like my, my mm-hmm. mom and my grandparents. And so when I finished my degree, and I did kind of farted around the first two years, but then the last two years I buckled down and, and did well did well enough to do a master's degree. And you enjoyed the university thing. Yeah. Like you enjoyed classes. I enjoyed and classes. Writing papers. and um, I, I'm still not a lover of writing. <laughs> But I, I, you know, yeah, I like the research, actually. Yeah, okay. That's what I liked doing was the research. And then the writing had to come because I couldn't just walk into my... I wish I could. Even now, I'm like, oh, why do I have to write down these things? I want to just walk into a journal office and... Tell know, them this cool stuff. Tell them yeah. this stuff. And Find then, someone you know. else to write it, but I'll take the credit. I know. Can you just hire someone to <laughs> find this out? Yeah, which helps me in my teaching, I think, because I think... A lot of students have an aversion to writing and I know that so it's like how strategies on how to like get stuff down on the page because you teach I use myself. some first year classes yeah, yeah I teach I do um I teach and so yeah I'm teaching composition and and comprehension and mm-hmm. all of those sorts of things for, for first years for sure where did the filmmaking come from mm. so that's sort of mixed with my um so as I mentioned, I was adopted. And so when I was about 14, my mom, my adopted mom asked me if I wanted to start looking for my parents and that she and my late dad had said that they would always do that, that that was the intent, that they would help me find my family. And um, so I started looking and Indian Affairs wouldn't help, and neither would social services because I wasn't 18. Oh, oh okay. But... Um, um, we decided to hire a lawyer and a Cree lawyer and we knew a few things some details about my birth parents like my birth mom had gone to university the year before I was born in, in the early 70s and um, and there were so few treaty indigenous people at university yeah. so we, we kind of thought it might be easy and, and it was it, he's, he said it was she was like the second person he called Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So he yeah. just, like, cold-called people. He did. And said, did yeah. you have a baby in yeah. such and such a year? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, that's risky, because someone could say no. Yeah. Well, and my mom had prepared me for that. Like, she had said, you know, people have, you know, they go through hard, Indigenous people go through hard times. It's possible that, you know, she's had made a new life, and, yeah. you know, you have to prepare yourself for that. So... So yeah, I didn't have too high of expectations. Then on the other hand, I think most adopted kids have that fairy tale. About did things. you did you have any? Because you were raised in a in a white family, mm-hmm. did they have any kind of connection to the indigenous community around mm-hmm. you? So you didn't. It wasn't no. like you really knew a lot of the culture. Or... No, and like if you look at a map, like where Ogmaw and Avonlea are, like the closest reserve is about 100 miles away if not more so no very little contact um my family tried like I, I got books and things but well, a lot of those aren't that great well right so but especially I think <laughs> now yeah. there's more They're, oh it's way better now yeah I mean but yeah I'm like this I'm talking like the 70s yeah like and 70s 80s, 80s and like would have been yeah too much you can but, imagine like some of those videos coming on the train or coming on the bus would be like yeah. show up and be these like racist sort of 
westerns or yeah. something, right? Oh, like, for sure. Yeah, but yeah. lots of opportunity for your family to talk. Yeah, about, <laughs> maybe. Let's look at the racism <laughs> in the culture. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I guess in my early twenties was when I really I met them. My parents when I was sixteen. Um, both my my mom and my dad. My Had they stayed in contact with each other? No. Okay, so you reunited them. No. <laughs> no? Okay. You met no, them they, separately. I met them separately, oh, okay. which, okay. yeah, and, and I don't know if they'll ever meet again. <laughs> but, I, had a, uh, I had a fairy tale in my head of how it might go. I know, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, and I quickly realized, oh, okay, that's not happening. But, oh, okay. um, no, so I met them separately and, and got to know them separately over the years. And... Um, I guess, yeah, it was my early 20s. I had my degree, and I was trying to figure out, now what? I have the degree. And, and the master's or just the undergrad? Just the undergrad. Okay. And, and I didn't, I was kind of done. I needed a break, and that's what I told my family, because they wanted me to keep going. And I'm like, right. no, I'm going to take a year or two off. It turned out to be nine years, which they still point out to me. But a Nine-year break. Yeah. What did you do for That's nine when years? I started getting into film. So I, I taught at SIFC for a couple years, um, teaching sort of composition and grammar and 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 um SIC is uh, so Saskatchewan Indian Federated College now the First Nations University okay down but the Regina campus so um I taught students who were coming back after a long time of being out of high school and um so they needed support to get into first year English age no they were older almost okay. everyone I was like you were like 20 22 and they were like 40s yeah. okay wow did you, did you yeah. find <laughs> that you had there was an expectation that you would understand more of the cult like the indigenous culture like did you have to suddenly do like um like catch up because you hadn't grown yeah. up in it? Yeah, you know, I, I did. And, and, and I was always really open with my students. Like, this is my background. and and But a lot of them knew my parent, Like, oh, my parents. Your birth have parents. A bit of, yeah, they both are pretty high profile. So people would, oh, well, you're their kid. But, I mean, it didn't mean I knew much. But um, it was kind of like the, the older ones, especially like the ones that were quite a bit older in their 40s and 50s would be like, you know, you have your own knowledge you're bringing and and we need that and then right. they would sometimes share stuff with me in the class so it was a real reciprocal learning cool. yeah some of the ones that were just a bit older than me weren't as that generous but um but i remember like quite a few of the, the older students being really great like that um and i was starting to learn you know i was and but again more book learning right i was reading about indigenous right. people and not necessarily um you know, making those overtures in the community. But then that's, I had heard about the Cree miniseries Big Bear that was going to be shot, and, and it was shot over the summer of 1998. So this was like... Uh like on CBC or mm-hmm. something? It ended up on CBC. And the big thing that was being talked about was that the director was an Indigenous filmmaker and two of the producers were Indigenous. And so it was kind of, you know, touted as like, it's a right. shift, right? Yeah. It's our own people telling our own stories. Um, and so I just thought, oh, I want to work on that because I saw it as a way to really learn about the history. Was it a documentary no. miniseries? It was like a like fictionalized story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and my dad, my birth dad, had been an actor in the 70s and 80s and a broadcaster, and so he knew quite a few people that were still and so he knew the director and so I met the director through my dad and he sat and talked with me for a while it's the late Gil Cardinal he passed away this this past year 
and but he was really generous and I'm like he's like well what do you want to do in film and I'm like I don't know you know I don't even know the roles and I said I'm a good writer you know again the English degree kicked in right yeah. I can write and yeah. and um and he said okay well you know we're we're it's too early to hire but you know um well they had told me who the producer was and the, he was one someone who lived in Saskatoon so then I had to lobby the that producer and I just took in my resume and he was like yeah we're not hiring yet but thanks and then I'd show up another three weeks <laughs> later I'm like hi I'm just just dropping in and and you know he kind of laughed at me and he's like we're still not hiring I'm like okay and and then, uh, and then what happened was um my adopted mom had suggested I apply to do a French language bursary the little summer bursaries where you go live in Quebec for six weeks yeah and um, so I had applied and got in and I, again I think I was 18 and I didn't want to go like I was kind of a homebody and she's like she's like yeah we didn't force you to go to Carleton that's fine you know you wanted to go to university here but you're going and I worked for them right and I'm like no I'm just gonna work for the summer and she's like you're fired and I was like what and she's like you're going you're going to Quebec you're going to go do this and it was ridiculously scary for me because I was kind of introverted and um, but it was it was a good experience at the end, and I ended up going back the next summer, and taking French at, during my undergrad. So at the time, I I actually had some fluency, like I right. could speak and understand and read. It's all kind of gone now because I stopped using it. But at that time, it was still pretty fresh. And one of the co-production companies was a Quebec company, and they were having so much trouble talking. They needed, a they needed somebody speaker. who could speak French. And so he hired me to do just some contract work, but to help with the French. And then, then the casting director came to the province to do local casting and she needed, needed an assistant. And um, I'm like, I'll do it. So I spent two weeks following her around and helping her. And after the end of the first week, she said, you have a real eye. You have a great eye for talent and for people. And so she said, I'm going to teach you. That's um, amazing. So, we, yeah, I got this intensive casting session with this, you know, sort of, um, you know, one of the top casting people in out east. And, um, and so then the production decided to hire me as extras casting. So I did that for the Fun. summer. Yeah. Yeah, and so that was my job for three months was finding, like, hundreds of people. Wow, that's super cool. Yeah, and, yeah, it was a great experience. I learned, and that was really, like, the extras were the ones who were, like, who are you and where are you from? And and they were the ones that were, like, well, come to this. Come to this powwow or come so to the this ex- community Yeah, gathering. they would have predominantly been Indigenous, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, so then they sort of, they wow, that's cool. Yeah, and that was... Yeah, that was a big turning point for me was, you know, was and I was getting to know my parents better and and doing all of the, you know, doing stuff with them and but it gave me sort of that I guess courage because I felt really intimidated um being an adoptee and growing up the way I did, like do I really belong, mm-hmm. you know, with 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 indigenous people and and it was great cuz I had lots of people say, "Yes, you're part of us. Yes, you're mm-hmm. part of, you know, and bring bringing me in." Um and then at the end of the shoot, the the same producer who had hired me to help with French. His name's Doug Cuthen. He lives here in the city. He's like, well, you want to come back to Saskatoon and I'll, uh, you know, I'll have enough work that you won't starve. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, how old were you? 24? I was 25. That's all, you need. That's all I yeah. do, right? Yeah. I, I know, you know, um, 
you know, it was just me. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have kids. I didn't have anybody to support. And he's like, oh, I, I make, I produce documentaries and I'll teach you how to make documentaries. And I was like, I'm in. So I worked with him pretty closely for about four years. And yeah, we did, we did lots so of stuff. So is that learning like everything? Like here's how a camera works, everything. here's how to edit, like all the bits. Um, no, cause I'm not, again, not the most technical person. Mm-hmm. So what I did learn was how to take an idea and shape it to a story and then and then see that realized. And so basically he taught me like the writing and directing. Okay. Um, a little bit of the producing, but I'm not, I don't really produce. Like it's really about taking the idea and the story and seeing it through. So I don't shoot my own stuff. I do shoot a little bit. Um, I've learned over the years, but I don't edit my own stuff. I don't. And I work with a crew who do, who do all of that. And um, but yeah, that's what we did. And I did a lot of writing proposals and deciding what you know what we're gonna do. And then he just gradually involved me in the directing. And um, and so I actually we co-directed a production after a year. And um, and then that's when two thousand was when um, the freezing deaths came to light. And we were on our way for another shoot. We were doing something else, but I remember hearing the stories, and I'd heard a little bit about it ahead of time. You're talking about the Starlight Tours? The Starlight Tours, because a friend of mine was close to to late Lawrence Wagner's family, and so I'd heard that he had passed and that there was confusion around what had happened to him. And then the the press release, or the press conference was announced that um, Daryl Knight had come forward. And I said to Doug, I think... I think somebody should follow this and like that's kind of how we worked is we would sort of approach a story and I'd say I think I think this is a good story and he'd be like yeah let's go for it or sometimes like yeah maybe not or you know that we just would decide and so mm-hmm. I would set it thinking we would work on it and he's like no you should you should wow. do it that's such an important story and mm-hmm. you were so young mm-hmm. and I I don't think any of us realized just how big it was. How big it was. Well, yeah. yeah. In retrospect, I can say like, like how massive it was, but at the time, it at might the time, not have. no, you had an instinct. Yeah, I'm I all goosebumpy. This yeah. is so cool. So yeah, I just I called a crew and because we were on, like I said, we were on our way out of town. So I called a crew and it was like 20 to 10, and the press conference was at 10, and I was like, "Can you go down really quick?" Wow. And they were wow. like, "Yep, yep." And they ran down and they didn't get it as everything, but they got enough that that we could show what had happened and. And um, I just started filming stuff, and and I was making pretty good money doing the casting things. I was casting commercials, and I was also getting hired to do, um, like satellite casting for companies that would be looking for Indigenous actors out of Calgary or Vancouver, but they would want to have a search in Saskatchewan. So I would do the Saskatchewan searches for people. So I funneled my casting money into the documentary so you're funding it yourself I was funding it myself yeah for the first couple years and then um the film board had gotten involved and was interested but it took them a couple years to to sign on completely and so yeah it was like a four-year shooting process it took a long time and so when that film sorry I was just gonna say I think we're gonna ask the same question you ask well my question is just gonna be so after the four years and the film came out and Mm -hmm. how was that what was that like did it premiere yeah, it had a it had a festival premiere at Imaginative in Toronto, um, and then it had a, 
um, CBC and APTN television broadcast. So, um, yeah, like it was a big leap from what I've been doing, which is sort of projects that were for community, which is which is which is important also, um, or local Saskatchewan cable kind of pr- projects. So that was my mm-hmm. first sort of like mainstream your parents film must have been so proud yeah yeah i would think yeah I, I, all, all of them you know, listen, all four of them all four of them would be so proud that's yeah yeah because yeah. i can imagine i just i feel like i could imagine because your mom seemed like very much like committed to you mm-hmm. as mother should be mm-hmm. um and then i can imagine if, when you were like i'm gonna make films and make and have this like kind of weird career and she might be like but you were supposed to do a master's and then so but to mm-hmm. sort of have it you know the play out like that which has been kind of satisfying. yeah they never forgot her and my grandparents her parents never forgot that i was going to do my master's right. and yeah. so i would still every couple years they'd be like so when are you gonna do your master's right. um next year it was always next year um but it was actually during the the making of that film i felt like you know, I, I had I had learned the history and I had learned, you know, how we've ended up where we're at today, right? And the situation is the same, obviously. We're, we're dealing with similar events right now. But, um, you know, I started to really think about colonialism and the way that it renews itself and the way that it's still around and how, how it does that. And it was like, it was above where I was at in my learning and so I decided during the editing of the film to do, to go back to school. So I did start my master's degree. In um, cultural in, studies? I actually ended or? up staying in English. Um, I had actually thought about going elsewhere, but um, a professor mentor of mine, I went to talk to him, and he said, you know, you can make the discipline expand for you. Like, you don't have to do stay within the confines of what English purports to be right you can you can make it move for you that's interesting because well you're saying that and i'm because i was picturing a master's in english i'm like charles dickens and shakespeare yeah that's an english master's but of course it doesn't have to be no i took classes in like post-colonial women's writing and um which i i i don't think we're in the post-colonial times but that's a different thing but i learned that by taking the class (laughs) i don't think we're in post yet um you know, and, and I, yeah, I took, I took reading classes with professors, you know, on, based on my own interest, and the department was great about that, and um, I took a history of the book that sort of looks at, you know, ar- the shift from morality to writing and, and the assumptions that are with that and, and questioning those sort of Eurocentric assumptions, right? Like, that's what I learned to do. So it was, it was helpful in the editing to just how to, to structure the film um, and so, yeah, I, I saw the way that the two could work together, that my academics were, were really influencing my film work, my creative work. And so that's like now mm-hmm. you're do, you are doing both. Like you're mm-hmm. still a filmmaker and you're also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I did finish my master's and, and I liked it and I did well. And, and so, um, and at that time. I was getting a little tired of the kind of work I had to do to make a living, like documentary filmmaking. It's hard to make a living doing that, especially in Saskatchewan. 
you know, every, everybody had to be really, um, multitasking and diverse in their work. So that was me. I, I made documentaries, but I also did casting and sometimes research for, for other bigger docs projects that other filmmakers were doing. Um, but it just, it, it was a tiring cycle, right? Because mm-hmm. you'd never knew when the next job was coming. There's not that and... stability. Mm-mm. Yeah. Well, and it must have affected you when they when the tax. Well, the I had film. already. Oh. So interestingly enough, um, so I plus two worlds colliding was was a really challenging film, and it was a long haul, and and I was really tired at the end of it, and um, I was like, I don't know, you know, this this is hard. This is harder than it had been, you know hard in lots of ways and I at that time was just like "Mm, maybe maybe I don't know if this is where I'm going to keep going and you know what my I think first year education prof saw is that I like doing something I haven't done before and then I rarely want to do the same thing okay over again even though it would make sense because you learn and from your mistakes and you can do better next time (laughs) I'm like no I'm going to do something completely different and make new mistakes right like Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, I I just wasn't sure if I wanted to continue to make those kinds of films. Um, And I just thought maybe I can. And like I said, I was getting tired of the of the uh, uncertainty and and whatnot of the contract work. So that's when I thought, well, maybe I'll do a Ph.D. And and then I can maybe do both. I can teach and have that stability, but also make the films that I want to make. Mm-hmm. And not have to worry about, you know, I got to go and Your livelihood doesn't a, depend on those. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, I think generally that's that's worked out. Um, I did have a sort of thing come in where I was offered a job as a producer um, with the NFB. Um, and so I was debating which to do, like, do I, cause I'd gotten accepted into a PhD program mm-hmm. and then I got the offer to be a producer and it would have been out of the Winnipeg office. So moving to Winnipeg and it would have been with the North, like working a lot in Nunavut and, and the territories. And it was really exciting. I love traveling and, and, um, and then my long-term relationship that I'd been in throughout the film, um, ended and we, you know, breakups are messy. One last try. Maybe we can work it out. Right. And two weeks later, no, we can't. Um, I found out a few weeks after that one last try that I was pregnant. Oh, wow. And, you know, this we... is kind of like one of your the historical romances <laughs> that you snuck away. Right? Yes. I couldn't write this. I couldn't. So, <laughs> so then I knew I couldn't produce. Like, I just couldn't do that with a baby. Mm-hmm. And I called the grad chair of the department that I was accepted in. And I was like, I'm going to have a baby and I'm going to be on my own. And I'm not really sure what to do. And, and he was like, you can do this. We will help you. The department will be supportive. There's others coming in that have just had babies or are about to have babies. And as a department, we need to be more mindful of you know parents and and grad students as parents that's so great and yeah you can do it and how old are you at this point 33 okay yeah 33 so 
um, yeah, I, I went, okay, I can do it. And for the most part, yeah, I had, I had good profs. Like, I brought my baby to school sometimes. Like, he was a little grad student baby. Yeah. I mean, I had help. Um, had kind of pieced together, you know, this, this child care system because he was too young for daycare and, you know, but I only had to be a class three hours a day. So I would figure it out. Different people came out to help. And then an old high school friend ended up being in Calgary and she had just had a baby and she's like, I'll take him for you. And she did. I think it's kind of funny because your mom was like, don't be a teen mom. And you're like, because it'll mess up your school. <laughs> and then you're like, you're in school with a baby. <laughs> you were 33, but you were yeah. still kind of like a teen yeah, mom. Yeah, I just delayed that. In yeah. school. <laughs> just delayed it a bit. Yeah. But, you know, I actually, you know, in the times I struggled because it wasn't easy and I did struggle. I was just single mom. And I plus I'm like, why am I moving to a new city where I don't know very many people and I'm having a baby on my own? Like I kind of shake my head sometimes. But then I would think, but I'm 33 right. and I can figure stuff out and I have resources that, and I would always often think of like teen moms being 16, 17, mm-hmm. not having that. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know how they do it because I'm struggling and I'm 33 and I've, I've yeah. got a, by this time, a better system in place. Right. And even, even though, yeah, it was still not easy. I'd always think some have it so much harder and. Yeah. you can get through it yeah yeah and so i know like meeting us today you had something to hand in it, your dissertation yeah uh, this so is I'm your fine, phd finally my phd um i got a job uh abd they call it all but dissertation so i was at the u of m for a couple of years and now i've been here and i've still been making films so and raising your son and raising my son and eventually this last couple of years, I'm like, oh my God, I have to finish my dissertation because, you know, that's what you're supposed to have when you have the position I yeah. have. So, so I got it done and today it's done, it's revised, it's accepted. My defense was successful last month. And so later today, I'm actually like submitting it to the Faculty of Graduate wow. Studies. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm happy to talk to you on this like momentous, <laughs> momentous day. day. Yeah. It, is, it is a bit of a momentous day. So actually. what will you do to celebrate? Um, I'm taking my son and his and my nephews to a movie. That's it. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, it's just the, relax. Just yeah, yeah. Sneak some champagne into the movie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and know. also watching a movie that's always been something you enjoyed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. And my son and I still we watch a ton of movies and talk about them and pull them apart. And did he come on the film sets or does he come on the film sets? With he you? does. Like growing some, up, he like does. He did in class. Yeah. Um. He does. It. It depends. Um, it's tough though, cause he's, he's only nine and, um, I'll, for, I'll give you a good example. We, we, I've shot a transfer of 87 Buffalo from Elk Island National Park and just outside of Edmonton. And they were transferred across the border to the Montana Blackfeet nation. And that's where these calves ancestors are originally from. So the 150 years, they, they are going back exactly where their, their ancestors are from. And so I took him on the last leg of the shoot where they were released. They had to be in quarantine, and then they were releasing them to the land, right? And it's beautiful. The Rockies are in the background. It's these you know, rolling grassland foothills, and, and they're going to be, you know, somewhat free. I mean, it's hard for Buffalo to be free these days. And um, so he came with me, and we're watching the roundup, and he's climbing up on the fence in between the move, you know, the push into the trailers, 
and he's looking around to see it and then it's time that they're going to push these you know buffalo through the chutes up onto the trucks and he's like i'm like kate you need to move back and he's like no i'll just stay here mom and i'm like you know because his nine-year-old brain yeah doesn't realize like a buffalo is so strong yeah. and could like crash that gate down and you know yeah, yeah. and he's like no because he was so he's like i really want to see and i'm like no and then and on the other hand i'm needing to tell my crew yeah. where i need them to set up and what we're doing and so it it works sometimes and he got down and you know he pouted a bit because and then afterwards i'm like you know those gates are nothing to buffalo like if they want to push them down they will and mm-hmm. you'd be sitting on there and he's like oh you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's good like i mean he he's gets he will always remember that day it was amazing and exciting and he saw that you know on the other hand it's tough because half my half my mind is like mom and where's right. my kid and is he safe and the other half is trying to like direct and directing it takes your whole yeah. brain yeah so yeah I, I pick and choose there's some things I'll take him on and some things I just I'm like no you can't come yet I think when he's older it'll be easier like when he's a teenager I think and he's really interested in it I think he'll start I'm gonna teach him how to record sound yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna be <laughs> my sound, sound guy. guy. He'll be on your crew. He's got a great ear. Like so. you worked for your parents, right, on the farm. So then he'll work for I, you yeah, on the I work, and I yeah, I pumped gas when all through my teen years. I worked for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my that was my high school job until they fired you. Till they fired me, <laughs> made me made me go off into to the Quebec, world. Into the world. So, um, so I don't feel like this is anything you thought you were going to be doing, but it seems like you're is your you have a fantastic life. I would. I it's it's yeah, like, you know there. I struggle to find the work-life balance that I'm happy with. I, I think because, yes, the film and academics fit together. They're also quite different, and the time commitment to both is pretty high. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at now, where I'm like having to really streamline what I do because the dissertation was tough, and I didn't see my child very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did, but I didn't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, every weekend I was writing, and, and he was off doing fun things with my family and friends, but he'd be like, I just want to be with you, Mom. And I'm like, I know, I know. So that's where I'm at now, where it's, yeah, I really want to find a way to have a better balance. Cause well, you've got I the could... three things, like at the very mm-hmm. beginning. So you've got the mm-hmm. academic career, the filmmaking, and the mm-hmm. sun. Mm-hmm. So it's not balancing two, it's balancing three. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and like I said, there's sometimes ways they, they can fit. Like I can take my son with me on a great shoot. And he's been great places, and he knows that. He's been both sides of the ocean. He's, you know, traveled across the country to California. He's He's done a lot as a little kid, and he knows that. But, you know... But yeah, he also has lots of, uh, I'm in my computer world, right? Writing, mm-hmm. writing, and he just wants me to be present. So, yeah. Well, now that the dissertation is done. I'm hoping, yeah. So so would you think you'll stay doing these three things for yeah. a while? Well, and that's what's great about filmmaking, right? Is it's a new thing. Right. And, and so I'm just finishing, editing a feature documentary on a 60s scoop family. And where I did minimal interviews and we tried to be just observational and just watch this family come together for the first time for a week and they, they allowed us to come. And so that was different for me. It was a different kind of film I'd never made before where I didn't intervene and I didn't, you know, I didn't ask a lot of questions. I just shot. We just filmed and 
and and so that it's a challenge in another way right and it was a two camera shoot which I've never done before and it was so you can scratch that itch of trying new things yeah without having to completely change my yeah, career exactly. which is what I'd done like I taught and then I you know I was an arts administrator for a while and I you know I, I was a journalist for a few years like I have done lots of different little things in between and you need yeah. to somehow convince them that you, the university, that you can um, argue that filmmaking is part of your job as a pr- they, uh, professor. They have. They're, oh, really? It all counts. Oh, well, good. Mm-hmm. So, like, because I know professors need to have publications and yeah. stuff. This your films your count publish. as that. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh, so yay. you don't have to also be, like, no. writing journal articles. That's what I mean. They do. I, I mean, I probably still do because my department's really great, but sometimes, you know, it's it's just different academic departments have different ideas about what academic work is. So my department's great, and I think a lot of the humanities get it that, you know, we're not, you know, that, that the creative and the academic have that relationship, right? That's been so supportive all along, like the fact when you had the baby and then they helped you with that, but then also the masters, and they said, well, English can be more than just that. Like You seem like you had really good people in yeah. your life. Yeah, totally, totally. If, yeah, like yeah. who knows what would have happened if just somebody had said no. No, you can't. Yeah, I, well, I would, yeah, if that one grad chair, I actually thank him in my acknowledgements in my dissertation where he was like, he was retiring, he wasn't even there the year I got there, but he was like... Yeah, it, and and there were some that were less supportive for sure. Um, you know, I had one really sort of prominent professor ask me, and she was, you know, someone I thought would be more supportive was like, I'm in my first year, I'm nine months pregnant in class, and she looks at my belly and is like, so you are going to go on maternity leave, right? And I'm like, what world do you live in where grad students get maternity leave? <laughs> yeah. like, I want to live there. I want to live in that world yeah. where, you know, women just get automatic supported maternity leave. Yeah. Because um, I'm like, yeah, I'm either here or I'm, you know, working and I won't see my baby for nine hours a day or or I'm on social assistance. Like, those yeah. are my options. So, no, I'm going to be in school. And yeah. I went back. He was three weeks old. And I wow. he, he came at Christmas. I always call him, I'm like, you know. He like picked his day. It was perfect. I was done my fall You're already classes. on holiday. <laughs> was home. Had very, the baby. Had time to recover. Him. Yes. Very thoughtful. Yeah. <laughs> we always ask um, just sort of a silly question at the end. But do you remember when you were like five years old, mm-hmm. what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah. So I always wanted to travel. I always, I read a lot of like fairy tales and stuff when I was a kid. And I would always imagine traveling and I'm like, I need, and my dad would say, you need money to do that. And so when you're five, what money do you see? You see the tips like that people leave waitresses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was going to be a waitress because I could keep my tips yeah. and I could travel with my tips. Mm-hmm. That's totally, I had it in my head because you don't know what money is when you're... But uh, you're right, because that's the only place where you really see people just leaving money. There's money. You see the waitress taking it. Yeah. Like, that's a tra- like a credit card. That doesn't mean anything. No. Like, they leave money on the table. Yeah, money. There it is, right there. <laughs> I can use that to travel. So I remember telling my parents I was going to be a waitress. I like that, because even that speaks to you, sort of like, I'm going to have a plan. This is what I'm going to yeah. do. You're not just like a kid. You're like, I want to travel. You're like, I want to travel. How do I get money? Waitresses. Yes. <laughs> like, you got it all planned yeah. out. So were you ever a waitress? No. no. I am so clumsy. Like I you went. You would have had bad tips. From like n- age of nine to 15, I couldn't walk across the room without falling. 
like I grew lots fast and I'm, I was so uncoordinated and yeah, I knew I'm like, there's no way I'd be spilling on everybody. Yeah, no and tips so, for you. No, no. And so <laughs> I started like in the gas station when I was 14 or 15 and that it worked. I was outside and I was talking to people and did people tip you at the gas station? Sometimes. Not that often though. Yeah. I often tip at the gas station. Yeah. And then I learned that's not a thing. I thought everybody tipped the gas yeah. ga- ja- gas jockeys. but Yeah. We actually would kind of have this little comp, because there was a few of us that worked. And, you know, if we got a tip, we'd be like, you know, we're better, yeah. you know, like competitive. But no, not many people did. So you didn't make enough money to travel around I didn't really. Yeah. Sadly. Well, there's still time. You yeah. can go be a waitress. Make lots of money at some point if you want to. I could. You could right? you could wear like a GoPro and film it and then make a documentary about Taylor Waitress. Yeah. Yeah. There. Next plan. That's it. Got you it got you. it. Done. Okay. Yeah. But thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I love yeah. you're your, I love how it all comes together. The yeah. the triangle of your life. Yeah. yeah. And you have so many areas of things that you know about. It's awesome. And I feel like your brain is full of things I want to know. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you for talking to me. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So thanks so much for listening to another episode of You Are Going to Be Fantastic. I wanted to shout out um, some of the ways that you can keep up with Tasha and her work online. First of all, she's on Twitter at Tash Hubbard. And frankly, if you just Google Tasha Hubbard, you're going to get a bunch of really cool links about her academic work as well as about her films. Um, We're going to put a link to her, her film Buffalo Calling. It's on YouTube. You could Google that, but we'll put a link to it as well in the the show notes for this episode. So my name is Ann Foster. Jenny Ryan had to ski daddle. So I'm here doing the, the farewell message. So just a few reminders for all of you. So first of all, um, I just want to express our thanks to CFCR here in Saskatoon for letting us use their studio to record while we keep working and striving towards the day when we, we will have a microphone of our own, or two microphones, two microphones of our own. But in the meantime, CFCR has been so generous with their time, and you can keep up with CFCR online at cfcr.ca. The, there's also an app. Um, you can listen to the radio programming streaming all the time. Um, so you're listening to this podcast, so clearly you like listening to stuff. And ZFCR, is, it's always got something cool and interesting happening. As well, um, we are also sponsored by audible.com because we are a legit podcast now. So if you go to audibletrial.com slash youwergoingtbf, um, then you can get a free trial. And in getting your free trial, you will also help Jenny and I Um, towards our goal of getting a second microphone. So thanks very much to Audible for that sponsorship. Um, Again, so you can go to audibletrial.com slash you were going TBF. My name is Ann Foster. Jenny Ryan, not here, but you can follow us as well on all the social media, on the social meds. We are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all at YWGTBF, which are, of course, the first letters of you were going to be fantastic. You can email us if you have a fantastic story. We would love to, to read your stories aloud. We could do a special mini-sode sharing other people's stories of where you thought you would be and, and where you are now and how you feel about that, which is, of course, our raison d'etre. You can email us at youwergoingtobefantastic at gmail.com. And please remember to rate and review and follow and like us on whatever wherever you're listening to this right now, be that on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn Radio, all the all the places. SoundCloud, of course, our our home base. 
There's always a place in any of those places where you can give us a little star rating or a little heart rating or leave a nice comment. And all of those things help. It helps more people find out about the podcast and it helps um, Jenny and I towards our dream of getting a second microphone. So um, I hope you guys are all staying fantastic out there and I can't wait to bring you another episode in two weeks time.